Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We'll read here the first 10 verses. Actually, let's read the first seven verses. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, or even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning uh, seeking to have your name magnified. Lord, enlighten our hearts and minds that we may uh, through the study of your scripture, come to know you as you are. May we see that um, only when we know you for who you are, then only, and then only then will we be able to worship you correctly. Only then will we be able to love you correctly and praise you correctly. And only when we have a correct view of you, Lord, then and then only will we have a correct view of ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us here this morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My strength, O oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, be with us this morning. Feed us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We have said that the best way to break up Ephesians is really in three sections. We've kind of already seen the last portion of how you would break up the book of Ephesians because we started this study in Ephesians in reverse. We started in chapter 6 where you really uh, see the Christian and his battles. When you get to the end of chapter 3 up to chapter 6, you'll see the Christian and his beliefs. But here in uh, chapter 1 and now in chapter 2, our eyes are turned even more to the Christian and his blessings. We've seen in chapter 1 the blessing of this adoption that we have in Christ. Uh, we've seen the blessing of this inheritance. Uh, we've seen the blessing of the riches of his glory. And it was all to the praise of the glory of his grace. And all that we are in Christ was poured out before us in chapter 1. Now here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, kind of like 3 through 14 in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 in the original language is one continual sentence of Paul 
praising God. It is a one continual sentence of a man thinking about who he once was and now recognizing who he is in Christ. But not only just for him, it is a reminder to all those in Ephesus. He's calling all of the readers to be reminded who you once were in Christ. Here in these, really, these first three verses, uh, Paul sets out to really put the hammer down on us. Now, we don't like this, and we actually really struggle with this, because no one likes to look at themselves the way that the Word of God views us. And no one likes to view us the way that God viewed us prior to the shedding of his uh, son's blood. Yet, Paul here in these first three verses points out just how wretched we were. Uh, just how wretched we were in, his, in the Lord's sight. Now this is something I would say that's not familiar to us in this sense. But I want to draw our eyes to something and in the first verse. And many of us probably already know this. But you'll see in the first verse of Ephesians chapter 2 in, in the first verse that there is italicized words there. Now, these italicized words, the reason that they're italicized is it was the purpose of the original translators to bring to your attention that the words that are here written down are not in the original manuscript. We have simply put this here to provide for you a better understanding. So in this verse, verse, it says, and you hath he quickened. Those, this sentence, this phrase here, hath he quickened, was added by the translators to bring you to a deeper understanding of what, of what Paul was trying to emphasize. And surely, he's trying to emphasize that we were quickened, that we were dead, and that we were brought to life. Matter of fact, when you get to verse number five, he again emphasizes this again, which was in the original manuscript, that we were once dead and now made alive. But in reading this this morning over and over, it really made me feel like in the reading of this with extracting it just for one moment, you really get this full glimpse of how dreadful you are without the good news that you've been quickened. When you look at the text and you say, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. When we read it just like that, it makes you say, how dreadful was our state before we were quickened? Just how vile we were. I mean, the text even more points out, when you remove the thought of being quickened, Paul says, not only were you in sin, but you loved sin. <laughs> it's not we, we like to add these things, you know, and you've heard kids say, oh, the devil made me do it. Paul says here in the verse three verses, you are without excuse. You were in sin. You loved sin. You thrived in it. It was the true desire of your heart because you were depraved. 
You were dead in this sin. At the end of last year, we were burning a bunch of stuff that had accumulated in our basement. We had this burn barrel. And we had begun to burn all of these things. And after we was done burning it, I came up, came in the house, and I sat down at the table for a minute, and my, eye, my wife's eyes began to water. Because the smoke that I was around in the fire had permeated my clothes. The smell of smoke had saturated into me. Though I was no longer by the fire, the odor of the fire was ever on me. And so it is even more. In that old state, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, that is exactly what our life was. We were permeated in the sin of the world. But here he says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What a thought here. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. It was said that any sculptor who would set out to do any sculpting of time past would not give his energy to sculpt upon a stone or upon an object that he considered not worthy of his time. It was said that Michelangelo scoured for many days and many weeks and many months finding the exact stone that he was going to carve the statue of Michelangelo. And so it is. Whenever someone sets out to do this, it's, it's the repetitious thing. They always want the best marble. They always want the best wood. They always want the best clay. But here, we are brought to the reality of this continued blessing that we have through our God. Why? Because it was God who looked down and said, and when you were dead in trespasses and sin, God looked down upon us in this dismal state, in this odorous state, in this state in which we were saturated in sins and said, I am going to perform my best work in you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We live in a day and age where doctors can do all kinds of amazing tasks. They can reroute arteries to help your heart move better. They can do heart transplants. They can do liver transplants. Uh, we've seen even now the amazing abilities that they have to confront plagues like cancer. I mean, the technology is far beyond our understanding. Yet, with all the advancements that we've made in technology, when someone is dead, the very best thing a doctor can do is put a blanket over them and send them to the morgue. They are incapable of doing any further work. Why? Because they are dead. They are deceased. Yet, as we've seen at the end of last week, the exceeding greatness of God's power. As he has the exceeding greatness of God's power, he looked down upon fallen humanity when mankind can do nothing with that which is dead. God, with the exceeding greatness of his power, looked down on us in this dead state and made us alive in him. Who but God can do such a thing? 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead brought us to life. This is man's problem. We are at birth dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 4 18 says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That is where saved people once were alienated from God. And those who have not been saved, that is their current condition, alienated from God because of the blindness of their heart. You are either dead in trespasses, in sin, or you are alive in Christ. Now, about this statement, dead in trespasses and sin, it is said that this phrase, in trespasses and sins, is to provide the reader with a locative sphere. Now, what that means is that if you was looking for the remote for your television and you was to be in search for it and you was to ask your spouse where the remote was and they responded, it's on the arm of the couch. It is to say that the locative sphere of this remote is on the arm of the couch. You see, there is a search and there is a location provided. So... Paul is saying about this, being dead in these trespasses and sins, this is a locative sphere in which he is placing you. It is to say that God went on a search for you, and where he found you was in the sphere located in trespasses and sins. Why is this so important? Because it is not that we sinned that we are alienated from God. You can't think that. It's not that we sinned that we are alienated from God. It's not. We are born alienated from God because our existence, the sphere, the location in which we exist is in sin. In trespasses and sins. To say in a, another application, the little boy goes inside the store and steals Listen, that doesn't make him a thief because he stole. No, the little boy stole because he's a thief. If someone commits murder, that doesn't make them a murderer. They're a murderer, therefore they committed murderer. We are dead in trespasses and sins, and since we exist within that condition, therefore we, out of our hearts, behave wickedly. Now, I understand that we exist in different levels of depravity, but it doesn't change the fact. The sin may vary. The condition varies not at all. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Committing sinful acts does not make us sinners. We commit sinful acts because we are sinners. So he says, he hath quickened, and you hath he quickened who were dead, in trespasses and sins. See, it's, it's not that just we are dead. We are dead in trespasses. This comes from the word paratoma. It literally means falling aside from truth. It, it literally means falling aside from when one should have stood upright. 
If you take time to read Romans chapter 15 in the 18th verse, as Paul sets out to describe exactly what um, Adam did when he was in righteousness and when he fell from this place when where he once stood, he uses the same word, paratoma. Meaning he was walking along truth, he was standing in truth, and then he fell alongside of it. He was dead in trespasses and sin. This same Greek word that we use to reference Adam's fall in the garden is not only that you have fell aside from truth. Adam didn't just fall aside from truth, but he said that he was in trespasses and sins. Sins is hamaratomo. Meaning that not only did Adam fall aside from truth, not only did Adam find himself on a new course, but he stayed on that new course. It wasn't that Adam slipped and fell. It wasn't that Adam made a trespass. It's that Adam continued to make trespasses against God. Adam remained in sin. And so therefore, because Adam's condition remained in sin, Romans 5.12 says to us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Why? All have sinned because Adam didn't just slip and fall. He fell and he remained in sin. And that nature was passed down upon all. Because of Adam's fall, this is how God views man's natural state, dead and trespasses in sin. This is where we were prior to salvation apart from God. It was said that there was an open-air preacher who was preaching the old, old story. He was preaching about Christ and him magnified and how he was preaching about how he came to Christ and through Christ, through this gospel message, he was delivered from the bondage of sin. And as this preacher was preaching in the open air about the condition of lost mankind being under the burden of sin, under this great burden of sin, under the weight of sin, there was a young preacher, a young boy in the crowd who cried out to the preacher and mocking to the preacher, you keep telling us about this burden of sin, but I feel no such burden. You keep saying that we're under this great weight and that I'm in sin. And this young man laughed as he mocked the preacher. He said, come on, preacher, tell us how much exactly does sin weigh? Does it weigh five pounds? Does it weigh eight pounds? Does it weigh ten pounds? As this young man mocked the preacher, the preacher paused by this boldness of this youth. The preacher said to this young man, he said, young man, if I was to take a 400 pound weight and put it upon a dead corpse, would he feel it? The boy said, he laughed and said, no, he wouldn't feel it because he's dead. The preacher then responded, exactly, young man, you cannot feel the weight of your sin because you are dead in trespasses and sin." You see, there's something that happens in the life of a believer. Even Paul, as he's calling the Ephesians to the state that they once were, as I think about the person that I once was in Christ, it causes me to cringe at my own depravity and my own wickedness at the way I once behaved. I am acutely aware of sin. 
What does this mean? It brings us to the reality of people who can live in sin, who can give their all to sin, who are not bothered by their filthy acts, who are not bothered by the way uh, they behave. It means that what? They are dead in trespasses and sins. Why do you say such a thing? Because they're not burdened by their sin. Because those who are dead spiritually cannot fully understand the weight of sin. So he says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Let me ask you this morning. Does your sin bother you? When you sin, does it bother you? Does it grieve you? Does it even upset you that you are in sin, numb to it, blinded by the fact that you are a great sinner? You don't fear it at all, no longer even grieved by your sin. If that is where you are, in the situation that you're not bothered by sin, the alarm bells should be going off in your mind. The alarm bell should be going off in your heart that you are not grieved by this great sin. But Paul says to the believer, remember your condition. Remember when you were in sin and it didn't bother you because you were dead to the reality of the condition. And he goes on to say in verse 2, wherein time passed you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So he says, how, you, how did you conduct yourself in that all sphere in which you existed? You walked. Not only did you walk, but then he goes on really here in verse 2 to remind them. He, he's reminding the readers, those in Ephesus, reminding us, to those whom we had an agreement with in that old life. In verse 2, he gives us three. He says, we walked, what? According to the course of this world. According to what? According to the prince and the power of the air. According to what? The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So he says, according to the course of this world. That word course provides us an aspect of time in which we were in the world. Paul takes us to the time. He takes the reader to the time where you used to walk in sin. A time where not only you were walking in sin, but you were daily conversant in it. A time when you were devoted to sin. A time when you were clothed in sin. When we lived according to the course of of this world. We were in love. I cannot remember at the peak of my sin ever being bothered by my actions. I was in sin. I was in depravity. And you know how depraved people act? Depraved. I was in love with the offerings of this world. That's the problem. James 4.4 says, what about this world? that this world is at enmity with God. And yet we loved his enemy. We we were saturated with how we were going to get ahead in that life. Our minds and hearts were focused on success here. But 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says what? Love not the world, 
neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And yet, we in the course of time in which we were lost, we were devoted to it. In this cause, we have not only the character of the old life stated, but Paul says here that we were, uh, that's how we were when we walked. But then in those days, we walked according to the course of this world. But when we walked according to the course of this world, he also further emphasizes in this verse number two that we had a different leader. Who is that whom we followed after? That is, who is this that we um, really, whether we acknowledge it or not, inspired to be like? It was our own pride in the fallen state. We wanted to be magnified. We wanted to be lifted up. We wanted the attention to be brought to us. We wanted to be great. And these are the same statements that Satan made about even his own life. So in the second verse, he said, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to what? According to the prince of the power of the air. That is who we followed. This is who we followed. Satan and his people. In total opposition to God. The, prideness, the pride of our hearts being lifted up. And even in today, they stand ready to tip man to sin and to do mischief in this world among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's how we all were. Bound to sin, living in sin, existing in the sphere of sin, and loved every minute of it. That is the condition of fallen man in sin, existing in the sphere of it. But great news is on the horizon. Matter of fact, verse number four excites me so much. It's almost like I just want to read verses one through three without knowing what's turning the corner. But verse number four says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And so Paul says, this is exactly where you were until divine intervention came. This is exactly how you existed. Verse 1 through 3 explains the tragedy of trying to do life without Christ. You just ain't going to make it. But here in verse number 4, he says, but God. This is the continual study of the blessings that we have in Christ. The blessing that even in this condition, even in this fallen state, when the world looked upon us and wouldn't, couldn't do nothing with us, God performed his greatest work in the redemption of that which was dead and brought us to a place, as we said last week, he brought us to a place that was so valuable that were that were so important that in verse number 18, he said that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of glory of what of his inheritance in the saints. That's this great work from dead to making us such a masterpiece that we are the Lord's inheritance <laughs> far beyond my understanding. 
next week, Lord willing, if he so allows us to return, we will study out this divine intervention of but God. We will study out what exactly happened when God intervened in your life when you were dead in trespasses and sin. When the world said there was no hope, God said, I've just begun. <laughs> what a thought. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you help us, Lord, this morning. I know that there's uh, several uh, who are under the weather here, Lord, at the church, even myself. Lord, I thank you for the grace, Lord, to even be able to preach this morning. Lord, uh, we give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, be with the Witten Place Baptist Church and those who are afflicted during this time or going through uh, specific troubles and trials, Lord. I pray that you'll strengthen them in the manner that only you can do. Lord, strengthen them for the battle that they're facing. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.